0: Thank you for this evening. Thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you and learn of you and find out what you would want us to see from this new book that we're starting tonight and ask you to bless it and bring your spirit in, into our presence. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking at the book of Hosea. The name Hosea means the Lord saves. What? The Lord saves. The Lord saves? Yep, saves. Um, it was written approximately somewhere around 784 B.C. uh, could be as late as uh, uh, 687, uh, 784 to somewhere around 687. Uh, Hosea, for such a short book, is a very long period that he covers. In the very first verse, he's going to say he prophesied from the King Uzziah all the way till King uh, Hezekiah. And that's if if you start from each of those ones when they begin to end, that's 60 years. And depending on how far into each one of those, some people say he could he could have been a prophet for as long as 90 years, all right. But at least 60 when you take the beginning and ends of these these reigns. So he's he is a prophet who is there for a long period of time. Not everything he says is recorded, all right. It's the first of the minor prophets in the in the book. The minor prophets are those books from Hosea. To Malachi and the thing we want to make sure we understand is they're minor prophets only because they're short books Not because they're unimportant books or not necessary. They just are short books uh, This is the longest of the of the minor prophets and he has 14 chapters so there's a lot going on in in this book and, and Let's see. He's a prophet to the northern kingdom And it's kind of interesting, you know, that he uses the kings of the south to be his measuring stick. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 1. But he's a prophet to to the northern kingdom. During this period of time, the northern kingdom is basically in prosperity. They're rebelling against God, sinning against God, and yet everything's going good for them. They're expanding their borders. They're getting bigger. And God is saying, you keep doing wrong, I'm going to judge you, and everything's going good. And the people are saying, oh, yeah, sure. You know, everything's going good. And in history, this seems to be the case. Things seem to be going really good right before an empire falls. You know, they look at themselves and lots of peace, lots of prosperity. Uh, If you look at Babylon, Babylon falls to the Medo-Persian empire, and they're having a party on the day that they fall, enjoying themselves. They are so secure that nobody's ever going to take them, and the enemy comes in under the wall through through the sluice gate and conquers them. Uh, and this happens over and over in history that somebody, when everything seems to be going well, and the people are at peace and at ease, they fall. And so, this is the time that Hosea gets to pre- to preach. He keeps telling them, "You've re- you've refu- you've rejected God. God's going to judge you." And they're looking around and saying, "Well, what's wrong with you? We've got lots of lots of food in the in the in the, in the being harvested. We've got lots of profit." You know, uh, you kind of lost your mind, Hosea, (laughs) because he is preaching, and this is the hardest time. When things seem to be going good, it's the hardest time to try to get somebody to acknowledge that they need God. When you're witnessing to somebody, and they're, you know, got a good job, and they're paying all their bills, they may be falling apart, and they really are falling apart in many cases, but they look around and saying, hey, everything's good. I'm not, I'm not in the gutter. I'm not, I'm not needing this, God. Everything is going good. and God must be happy with me. And that's kind of where the people are going to be with Hosea as he's preaching. You know, Hosea, we don't know what's wrong with you, but all of this stuff is good. The style of writing mostly is poetic except for chapters 1 and chapter 3. Uh, both of those chapters are just prose, something that he adds in there that happens to his life. And we'll talk more about that because he is going to be chosen to picture, be a picture, the way he lives is a picture of the way God deals with Israel. And I'd hate to have been him, but we'll talk more about that as we go along. Uh, Most of his sentences are quick, short sentences, but full of meaning. All right, so this makes it an interesting book to study and it may take us a while to get through certain parts of it because of how deep they are. He is going to be a picture of God's love. He is going to be told to go marry a harlot. And the reason God tells him to marry a harlot is so that he can be a picture of God's love toward Israel, who is a harlot. And so we're going to see that. We're going to see the names of his children having... I feel sorry for his children with their names, but we'll get to that as we go through. He's going to end up buying his wife out of of the slave market because she sold herself into harlotry and leaves him, and he buys her back picture of Jesus buying us, buying humanity back from the slave market. So there's all kinds of these pictures of Jesus and God's love for his people all through this book. So Hosea is the one that um, married the prostitute? Yes. Yep. Uh, The major messages of this book are the apostasy of Israel and God being the husband, Israel being the wife, backsliding and adultery and repentance. So the first three First, three chapters of the book are going to be about Israel's apostasy. They're they're complete falling away from God. Chapters 14 through 13 are backsliding, adultery, warnings, exhortations. Uh, And one of the things we're going to find in this book, as we have seen in other books of prophecy, he bounces back and forth. In the middle of a chapter, he's going to be talking about one thing, and then he's going to go to the Millennial Kingdom, and then he's going to come back to Israel, and then he's going to go to the Messianic times, and then he's going to come back to... To Israel, So we're going to see a lot of bouncing around, which does make it hard to read these guys when they bounce around like that. But we're going to try to make sense of all of that uh, setup. And so and then the last chapter is his call for Israel to repent. Chapter four is his call for Israel to repent. So lots of things are going to happen in this book. And we're going to start at verse one of chapter one. The word of the Lord came unto Hosea the son of Bere in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto you a wife of whoredoms and a children of whoredoms, for the land is committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For yet in a little while I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to cease the kingdom in the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. All right. He starts out saying, first, he's a prophet of the Lord. Nice way to start out, he's he's putting in his credentials, he's hearing from God. And he lists kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Now he is a prophet to the northern kingdom. But one of the things that I was doing as I researched this over this last week, the prophets in the northern kingdom to the northern kingdom considered it an illegitimate kingdom. They had rebelled against David, the line of David, which was the rightful kings of Israel. So they looked at their land, living in a land that was living in rebellion, all right? Kind of like if the South had won in America, everybody, you know, the Northern States would have been looking at them being illegitimate. They're supposed to belong to us. Now well, this is what they are looking at. You know, these nations, these 10 tribes broke away from Israel And they're still called Israel, but as far as they're concerned, they are broken away. They are not living the way they're supposed to do. And we know that they weren't. From Jeroboam on all the way till their destruction, they have been worshiping idols. So they have never worshiped God the whole time as a nation. Now I'm sure there are people living in the northern kingdom that followed God and obeyed God. But as a nation, they did not obey God. Much is where our country is going to. So many people do not worship God anymore, and we're becoming probably the non-Christian nation that all that everybody tries to say we that, that we are, even though we started as a Christian nation. But we are becoming very quickly a non-Christian nation. That doesn't mean everybody in the country is non-Christian. It just means the majority of them are not following God. And that's what was happening in the Northern Kingdom. There were good people when... when uh, yeah. The prophet uh, Elijah, Elijah complained, I'm the only one that hasn't bowed, your, bowed my knee to, to, to Baal. God said, no, I've got 5,000 people. You just do what I told you to do. And this is the problem. When we feel that we're the only person serving God, we need to realize God has a remnant. He always has a remnant of people worshiping him. During the tribulation period, after the church has been taken out, God will have a remnant of people worshiping Him. He'll raise up 144,000 Jewish men to preach the gospel during the tribulation period, and they're going to be winning souls to Christ, which means as it goes on, there's going to be more of them. So God always has a remnant. So when, when Satan lies to us and says, you're the only one, your church is the only one, you know, if it wasn't for you guys, No, there are other churches out there. We are getting fewer and fewer, but there are always a remnant of God's people. During the Dark Ages, when the church was being really driven underground, there was a remnant of people that followed after God and sought after grace and mercy and and kept seeking after God. He's always had a remnant. All through the days of Israel, he had a remnant that sought him. So here, we're looking at this, and he's saying, I'm in the south i'm um, in the northern kingdom but i'm really recognizing that the southern kingdom is the the lawful kingdom it is the kingdom that follows god it's got god's king there and then if that wasn't enough he said in and also in the days of jeroboam the son of joash which this would be jeroboam the second all right so we had a jeroboam the first that split from the kingdom and then you had a jeroboam the second toward the end of the kingdom and they're not not related. They're not even of the same family. They just happen to have the same name. No, nope, totally different family because those dynasties had been killed out on two occasions. So there's three dynasties in the northern kingdom. So this king is not even related to Jeroboam the first, even though they name him. We use the term Jeroboam the second just to identify that he is a different individual. Uh, just as bad. Just as, just as bad with uh, idolatry. And then he says, In the beginning the word of the Lord came to Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, take you a wife of whoredom of the children of whoredom, for the land is committed whoredom." I think God's a little upset here. <laughs> yeah, using that same word three times in a row. So here is a prophet. Now I can just picture this. Mom, dad, uh, God told me to go marry a prostitute. Uh, that's probably exactly what mom and dad said. Yeah, right. What, 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 uh, what spirit are you listening to? All right. This is one of these places where we have trouble with the scriptures because I have said over and over, if the scripture says to do something that is against the rest of the scripture, there's a problem. Now, this just shows that God can do what he wants because God says don't be unequally yoked. He told his people not to be mixed with evil, and now he tells his prophet to go do this, but he tells them for a very specific reason. This wasn't that God says you're going to win Uh, Gomer to to, to me. It's, you are going to be an example of what Israel is doing to me. And we're going to find out that this woman was not faithful to him. He marries her, tries to make her happy, and she leaves him. Just as Israel had left God. And I feel sorry for poor Hosea because he is going through, God had to have given him some great love to be able to go through this and know that he was doing God's will. But I can just picture, I can go picture telling mom and dad, you know, I'm going to have to marry this prostitute. God told me to marry a prostitute. You know, when Samson told his parents that he wanted to marry the prostitute and, and the person from Philistia, they go, aren't there any women in all of Israel that you could get married to? And I'm sure mom and dad in this case are going, aren't there any women that aren't a prostitute that you could get married to? And he's having to say, no, God told me to do this. Another one of these areas that are really hard for us to understand is when God told Abraham to go offer Isaac. Now, we know that God saved Isaac. He didn't actually have to offer him, but can you imagine? Abraham knew that God did not take human sacrifices and that it was against the law, and yet he knew that he heard God's voice to go offer this this child to God. This would have been a hard thing to do, knowing God's, God's rules and his ways, and then knowing that you heard God. So there are a handful of places that just make it hard for us to understand, God, how could you have done this? What, what were you trying to, to lead into? So he's told to go marry somebody so that he can be a picture of what, what Israel is doing for, to God. This happens frequently, that God uses these pictures to, de- to demonstrate to people what's going on. And it is a very effective way of teaching to do some kind of um, picture that people attach to it uh, and be able to see the message in something visual, not just words. So this is what's going to happen. And remember, he's preaching during a time when everybody thinks everything is going good. So this is the whole land, not just Israel? Well, the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom at this point, uh, because at this point, Uzziah is, re- uh, is, uh, is re- reigning and he's a good king of Israel. So a good king is in the in the south. A bad king is going to follow him. <laughs> and then uh, there'll be another partially good king. And, you know, for that. So but he is looking mostly he's looking at the his prophecies are primarily to the northern kingdom. We do not know where he prophesies, but when we get into his prophecies, a lot of them are geared toward the king, so he's somewhere near Samaria, uh, or close enough for his message to be given to the king, so, but we don't know exactly where he's preaching, because it doesn't tell us. just tells us he's, doesn't even tell us that he's in Israel, but his, his prophecies are all to the king of, king of Israel, and, you know, or mostly to the king of Israel. Um, and so he's, he marries this, and so he, he says, and then he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, which conceived, and bare him a son. So he goes out, and he finds the person named Gomer. Now this name means complete. Now, I find it very ironic, because usually we think of complete being in a good sense, but this person is probably completely bad. All right. And so he goes out, and he marries this woman named Gomer. Which, for us as English, we think of Gomer Gomer Pyle. You know, we think of it as an American, as a as a male name, but it was a female name in the Hebrew. Uh, And he marries this, and she bears a son to him. And they name him Jezreel, which means God sows. All right, and Jezreel is quite an interesting implication because there's a land called Jezreel. There's the Battle of Jezreel. There's the the plain of Jezreel. This name is used frequently all through the Old Testament, but it means that God sows. God is starting to initiate something. And he says, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. Jehu is the one that murdered the previous king and set up his dynasty in his place. Now, God prophesied it. He said it was going to happen. And yet God says, I'm going to bring judgment on Jehu and his house. And Jehu took people into deeper sin as well. It's quite interesting when we think about this, sin always has consequences. Those consequences may be delayed, may be put off, but sin has consequence. And Jehu murdered his his, uh, sovereign. Then he set up even deeper sin into Israel with idolatry worship and God says okay you've done that you're going to be judged and so God said I think if if I recall correctly it was two generations and his his dynasty would fail so he's going to be another one of these kings that fail and God says I'm going to bring this and it shall come to place place in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel that the battle of Jez that the battle that did occur in Jezreel would be where this king was broken and we're also going to see that God says, Bo could also be the strength. All right? At the very end, at the very last king of Israel, the northern kingdoms, that king was being very successful. He was advancing the kingdom. He was winning battles everywhere he went. Everything looked good. If you would have looked at the kingdom, you would have said, all right, everything is good. God's blessing. And that's how they looked at it. If everything was going good, God was blessing. If everything was going bad, you were being judged by God. Now, obviously, they had never read the book of Job. All right? Or anywhere else in the Bible where the good good does not always have good happening to them. But the tradition was that if everything was going good, then God's happy with me and everything's going my way. And we don't have any problems. And here's going to be a prophet saying, God's bringing judgment. Yeah you're sinning judgment's coming and they could all be looking at him and go what's wrong with you Hosea? look at the look at the fields they got plenty of food in there we've been having rain we've been having having all this stuff everything is good everybody's everybody's doing doing well why are you why are you a wet blanket trying to trying to stop all the all of our good times and if you've ever witnessed to people you'll have that same act you know, what's wrong with you? Everything's good. You know, why are you such a wet blanket? You're always, you're always trying to stop us from having fun. And, you know, we look at it and go, if you only knew what is coming. Ultimately, there's judgment, and we need to make sure they understand, and this is where he's at. So he has his first son. He says, God sows. All right, verse 6. And she conceived again and bore a daughter, and God said unto him, Call her name Lurahama, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But when I, have, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by the bow, nor, nor by the sword, nor by the ba- battle, by horse, nor by horsemen. All right, so he has another child. And this is a nice, funny, fun name to be saying, L- 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 Hama, and it means no mercy. And God says, you, I'm naming your child after what's, what I'm going to do to your people. I have no more mercy left for them. That's a kind of a harsh thing to think. And we do not know, is he at the beginning of his ministry or the middle of his ministry or not? He is going to be teaching for, for 60 to 80 years, and even when he dies, he is not at the end of the judgment. So people, the nation is still going to go on past his death. This is the hard part. When God tells us to speak, people go, well, it's always been. Tell people about Jesus coming again. Well, that's what you guys have been saying for 2,000 years. You know, God is going to bring judgment. Oh, yeah, right. You know, everything's going good. You know, look how, look how good everything's going. I look at it, and it's not going all that good. But the world looks at it, and it says, "Look what look what is all these good things going on. And God is saying, it's coming. Your judgment's coming. The end is coming. And so it says, I will have no mercy, no more mercy on, on Israel. But he says, But I will have mercy on Judah, the two tribes in the south. And he says, I will save them. And I love the way he says, not by anything that not by strength, not by their army, not by the weapons. He goes, I will save them. And there were more than one battle where God did the battle. We have Uh, battle when uh, Jehoshaphat goes to war and God says, you know, I would love, I would hate to be the singers in this battle. He says, send the priest to sing ahead of the altar and then send the army after the altar. So you got priests singing, you've got the altar, and then you've got the army and they're headed to war (laughs) with an army of several hundred thousand people. And they get to the ridge and they look down and and the people have killed themselves in there. And it takes them three days to gather up all the the booty from that battle. God killed them. We end up with Hezekiah with the city surrounded. And he prays to God and God kills 187,000 Assyrians surrounding the army. God did the rescuing of his people over and over and over again in Judah. But for the northern kingdom, he said, I'm not, I'm not doing it. You may look like things are going well for you, but I am not on your side because of your disobedience. And this is something for us. When we're his children, if we're living in sin, we can't expect that God's going to bless us. Now, it may look like we're getting blessed. It may look like we're not having things falling apart. And a lot of that is Satan letting, letting things happen for us that are good so that we think we're that God is blessing us. Well, you know what, I'm living in this sin, but man, God God is still blessing me, so he must love me a whole lot, that I can get away with this. And then all of a sudden, the bottom falls out, and everything just collapses in our life. Because God won't let his children sin without judgment, eventually. Now he'll give us opportunities, he'll give us opportunities to hear the, the speakers on the radio, the pastor, the teachers, tell us about how we need to get our life corrected and everything. And if we ignore it, then he'll let, let things happen. Unfortunately, we, we as humans have this bad habit of needing to hit bottom before we repent. And that's not good, and yet we all tend to do it. Um, I'd like to learn from other people's mistakes, but I don't always do it myself. Uh, but this is what is going on. He says, I, I am going to take them out, but I will protect Judah, the right uh, nation, the one that's being run by the right kings. And he says, I'm going to protect them. Verse 8, now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. And God said, call him Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Let the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, which, which cannot be numbered. And it shall come to pass that in that place where it was said unto them, you are not my people. It shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. And then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land and great shall be the day of Jezreel. So now we have a new, new use for Jezreel at the end of this book, this chapter. So here we have another son being born. Uh, as soon as she gets done weaning, weaning, she conceives another son and they name him Lo Ami, which is not my people. God is fed up with the people and he says, I am not having any more mercy on you. And a matter of fact, I'm not even claiming you as my people. These are the ones that broke away from God. Now, they had broken away from God some 180. Let's see what it was. 80, uh, 164 years before when Jeroboam broke away, and that's from the earliest mark of Uzziah. Uh, so 164 years earlier, they had broken away from God's rules and followed idols. For 164 years, the, the northern tribes have been following idols. And remember, there was not one good king in the north. So every example they have is bad. Everything they're doing is the evil that's coming their way and you know we go well how could you know was there anybody that was right well God said you know told Elijah there's some there's 5,000 who are still following me so there were people in Israel that were following God but the majority were not and can you imagine well we can because we're starting to see it in our country but let's say it's really bad but you know we're the only handful of good followers of God out there and everybody out there is saying no you can't be a follower of God and they're making fun of us and making life miserable that was what was happening in the northern kingdom anybody that followed God was laughed at yeah why you know why are you following that God you know we're we're, we're doing our own thing and everything's good you know we're being blessed look at the crops coming in we've got plenty of money it's prosperity's everywhere the king is expanding the the nation we're getting bigger you know there's no problems in our nation Kind of sound a little bit like our country. You know, And we listen to certain people, they talk about how there's no problems in our nation. Now, I don't look at it in the same way, but I read the newspapers, I hear these articles, and everybody's talking about how good things are right now. And I'm looking at all the shadows, all the, all the portents coming up that says, our country's due for a crash because we're not following spiritual authority. And God's going to bring judgment. And you look at all the different things through a historical lens, and you're going, we're in trouble. And yet, just as Hosea's people are saying, ah, everything's good. Life is good. And he's saying, no, we're gonna, God's going to judge. It's real hard to teach people that are thinking everything's good to tell them that they're going to be judged. And this is where they're at. They're not following God. They haven't heard the word of God. They're not being preached the word of God. They're not, they don't have the Bible being read to them. They're probably forgotten the Ten Commandments if they know them at all. Uh, they think everything's going good. They've got other gods other than God. They're committing adultery and fornication left and right. They're stealing from one another. They're coveting. They're lying to one another and thinking that they're doing good things. And this is where our world is right now people doing all the bad things, and they were doing just what we're seeing now, calling good, bad, and bad, good. So every time Hosea spoke and he spoke good things, they're going, oh, you're teaching nothing but bad. You know, you're a wet blanket. Quit, quit raining on our parade. And he's going to have a problem. And he's doing with these with children, he's giving God's message and trying to help them understand. And God says, I will not be your God. They had rejected him, so he said, fine, you want to reject me, I now reject you. And there is a point where God will say, enough is enough. You have rejected me so long, you don't want any part of me, I reject you. The sad thing about that is when that happens at a national level, the remnant suffers as well as the evil. And this is the thing we've got to remember. Though God says he's going to bless us and he's going to keep us, bad things happen to us. When the nation falls apart, bad things happen to God's people as well. Uh, during World War II, for many people that were Christians in, under Hitler, if they really followed God and obeyed God, they ended up in concentration camps along with the Jews and the gypsies because they were saying, we're not going to follow your ways. And he says, fine, then you're going to jail. And this has happened in every dictatorship. It starts against Jews and some other minority, and then eventually expands to include anybody who doesn't want to think the way that that group thinks. And we're seeing it even starting in our day. For those of us who don't want to agree with what the government says and think the way they think, we're starting to be made into more and more second-class citizens. And we're gonna see it intensify as time comes in. Uh, we're hearing all about, we can go without a mask as long as we prove that we've had our, have our, had our, had our immunization. How do we do that? Here's your paper. You don't have your paper. You're a second-class citizen and can't, can't do the things of the first-class citizens. We were talking today about like the Jews, you have, to have a little star. Little star showing who you are. Yep. That's gonna be what it comes down to. Now, they're denying that it's gonna happen. They're denying that it's gonna happen, but it is going to happen because that's what history says is gonna happen. You make the group that's in opposition a second-class citizen, and then eventually, you punish them by putting them into re-education camps. We're gonna put you in a camp and teach you how to think correctly because you don't think the way we want you to think. And this is what we're looking at very near future. How soon? I don't know. Probably sooner than we want to believe. But all of this will be to do this. And this is what Hosea is at in that kind of time. Everybody's looking at him as, you're absolutely nuts. You keep telling us that all these bad things are going to happen. Just look, open your eyes and look around you. Our bank accounts are full. Our barns are full. Our, our flocks are full. Our, we're having lots of kill you know, kids where everything is good. That means God is blessing us. Hosea, what, what is wrong with you? And he's going, no, you're not. You're not blessed of God. God is going to bring judgment. He has no more mercy left for you. And he's going to say, you're not my people. And this is Israel that he's talking about. All right. This is the people of Abraham that God says, if you bless them, I will bless you. And they're going to number the sand of the, the sea, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, sa- the sands, and be, as, be the numbered of the stars. You know, and he's going, this is the people he's talking to, the children of Of Abraham that have rejected what they're supposed to believe probably not following following circumcision probably not having a Passover celebration definitely not going to Jerusalem to worship because they're worshiping their idols everything that they're doing they're doing wrong and yet if you were to ask them they would tell you we're Jews we're Abraham's children we're not worshiping the same God that Abraham worshipped. We're not worshiping him in the same way that Abraham worshipped him. Worshipped him, but we're Abraham's people. You know, we're we're ten of the sons of of, of uh, Isaac and Jacob. You know, we, we're 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 their family. And they were, physically, but their hearts were far from God. And this is what is being brought to them: Your hearts are far from God is what they were being told, and yet they're going. huh. God, you, your blessing. Now, where the prosperity gospel ever came into being, I don't know. It's been around. It's, in, it's very fervent in our day. It was in, in Job's day because he had trouble. When he lost everything, he had trouble. And his friends who were, were really disciples, he had taught them. They were telling him, he, you, Job, you must have done something really bad because bad things don't happen to good people. That's exactly what the prosperity gospel says today. Do good and good things happen. If bad things are happening to you, then you've done something wrong before God. And Job was being shown by God that God's in charge. God let bad things happen to him so he can see, are you still going to trust me in spite of what's happening? And oftentimes, God's children suffer. Jesus said it himself, they hated me, they will hate you. So if we're followers of God, the world is going to hate us and make life miserable for us. And there's no promise that everything is going to be good. I'm not gonna, every Christian is not going to be a millionaire and have a house on the tail side with, with four or five cars in the garage and a whole, whole bank account. It doesn't happen that way. Because if we did, what would happen to most people if they got blessed that much? They would forget God. They're going, ah, I got it. Look at this bank account. I, I can live for the rest of my life. I don't need God. I've got plenty of money in the bank. And this is the problem that blessing gets. People tend to forget God. And many times, blessings are a sign not that you're loved by God and blessed by God, but that you are outside of God. There's, the enemy wants you to be there. Satan can bless people just as easily and say, hey, I'm going to give you lots of wealth so you can depend on your wealth you can make wealth your god and not god and that unfortunately happens over and over again when people will say huh, look at all look at all that i've got i've got all these good things god must be really happy with me because we fall into the prosperity gospel and in our day and age there's lots of pastors that are teaching the prosperity gospel especially on television you know send us money and you're going to be blessed and somehow people get blessed and they get these things, and everything looks good. Well, even like, like if Satan's giving us blessings to, to avert us from God, isn't God letting him do that also? Like, yeah. Him, okay. Satan has to ask for permission for anything. anything. I, don't, I don't really like to use the term blessings when Satan gives it to us. Yeah. But CBT. everything looks good. Right. Everything, I've got money in the bank. I've got friends. I've got everything looking going my way. I've got a good job. Everything looks to be going my way and I'm not going to church, I'm not reading my Bible, I'm not praying, I'm not following God. So God has allowed it to happen to see if I'm going to continue to trust him. But God, God has not given us blessing, is Satan Well, Satan is using what appears to be a blessing to take us away from God. So what appears to be a blessing is actually a curse. We perceive it as a blessing because everything seems to be going good but it's taking us further and further and further away from God. You can use what appears to be blessings to us. So how do we know the good best blessing and the best blessing then? We don't. It's I would say Is it how, we use it? how we use it more than anything out. And does it drive me to God or drive me away from God? If I've got millions of dollars in the bank, but I'm not serving God, I'm not going to church, I'm not reading my Bibles, it's not a blessing from God. Or do we really need that blessing? not sure I'm gonna go that far because a millionaire doesn't need all of his money but these guys that have given lots of money to God uh, jc JCPenney uh, cash uh, Sears Roebuck those guys all gave 90% to God and were millionaires by their death but they gave away 90% of everything they made so if you're that place and you're just being stingy with your money and not using it for God and you're probably not going to church at that point you're probably not going to church you're not praying then it is not a blessing from God it is driving you further away from God and actually probably is becoming your idol i don't need to work i don't need god i've got i've got all this money in the bank the the parable of the farmer who said who oh, yeah. who had so much crops that he tore down his barns and he goes i've got money i've got i've got money to live for many years i don't have to work anymore and he died that night okay he put all of his hopes in that blessing that he thought he had and so again what is our attitude toward the blessing? And I've said this several times. I have seen people who get blessed. They get good jobs and they get a second house, they get a retirement, you know, a vacation house, and they get a boat and they get this and they get that. And then slowly they stop coming to church because they're playing with all their stuff. So, like you said, it's how you use the blessing. Right. And it probably was a blessing from God originally or wow. could have been. But they used it wrong and they, and they started placing it in the place of God. And this is gonna be very careful because you can make church your, your, your God rather than God. You're coming to church to show up to church, to look good, to feel good when you come down and forget about God. And a lot of people do that. They just come to church to put in time. And you know, those are really those are the ones that the pastor steps on their toe, they stop coming to church for a while because they're not having a good time when they come to church all right uh but they're coming there to be seen this is what happens a lot in the uh, bible belt in the south people go to church because that's where you're supposed to be on sunday morning and if you're not at church there's something wrong with you you're not going to church to worship god and praise god necessarily you're going there so that everybody can see i went to church sunday you all saw me leave my house i'm not i'm not a heathen that's not following god I went to church, and I spent my hour or two, if you were really spiritual, went to Sunday school. You know, I went and spent my two hours in church that day. And you all saw that I left, and you saw that I came back, and I was carrying my big Bible. And I put in my time with God to to look good. And I met all the other people trying to look good. And, And it is a hypocrite. It is being a hypocrite, but you've placed something else in the place of God. And I've said this, Bible reading can become that. All right? And believe me, I believe in Bible reading. Don't get me wrong. But you could say, well, God, I, I, read my four, I read my four chapters today. Don't remember a word that I read, but I read my four chapters. Next morning, God, I read my four chapters. I'm reading your book. I haven't got a clue what I read. Didn't mean anything to me. I just, I read my four chapters. And anything that we do that can be good can also be bad if we're not doing it with the right heart, attitude to yeah and I have caught myself doing the same thing God I'm reading my Bible and go man I didn't did I get anything out of that and I have to go back through and meditate or find out what God wants me to to be on it's easy to fall into it's easy to turn something good and turn it into our idol that it replaces God and at that point the good is not the good is not good anymore We have turned bad, and a lot of it comes down to our attitude. What is my attitude toward what I'm having? What is my attitude when I come to church? Am I doing it just because I need to look good and be in church? Am I coming there because I'm coming to worship God? If I'm coming to worship God, it doesn't matter how many people are in the church. One, two, three, four, 100, it doesn't matter because I'm there to worship God. But if I'm coming for the wrong attitude, and there's only two or three people, oh man, not enough people here to see see that I came to church today. I wasted my time coming. So we want to be careful. What is going on? And these people are following God, being blessed, thinking that all these blessings are from God, and walking in. And God says, "I will not be your God. I am tired of dealing with people that don't want to be my God. You know, don't want me to be their God." Now, would God have had mercy if somebody had repented? Obviously, he would have had mercy. But he's at the breaking point. And in our second king study, we saw we're all the way up to um, Josiah. Josiah is a great king of Israel. But God says, I, enough is enough. Josiah, you're a good king. I'm going to bless you during your time. But after you're gone, I'm taking the people out. Even with his great turning to God, he was not able to get God's mercy to expand beyond to the next king. And we find out as soon as Josiah dies, he's replaced his son is an evil king, and the people go right back to idolatry worship. Their hearts were never changed. And this is the important thing. Does our heart get changed? And this is something that's important. When we get saved... We become a new creation when we are are truly saved. And God takes the stony heart out of our life. He puts a heart of flesh in. He comes in and, and dwells us. And our whole attitude about everything changes. And God says, now you're my child. Now you're my child. You don't want to sin. That doesn't mean we're not going to sin. But we don't want to sin because God has put his spirit in us. And we try not to sin even though we're going to sin. We're heartbroken and convicted when we do sin. And God says, that is my child. That is the one that has placed their trust in me. That isn't just the person who said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sins, come into my life. Those are the right words, but if they're not meant, they're not just magical words, you know, abracadabra, you're saved. You know, they have to be meant. You have to believe them. And then God makes us a new person. And and this is why I say, when you're a Christian, you know that you know that you're saved. And if you're having to question are you saved, then you need to really look and say, did I mean what I said? Did I mean this prayer? Did I truly believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and without him I I cannot make it? And that's the important thing that we go, are we truly saved? And I've said this over and over, if I can sin without conviction, I'm probably not saved. Now, I may be able to sear that conviction by keeping doing the same sin, but the spirit will keep coming back and he'll keep saying, uh, no, you're not supposed to do this. No, you're not supposed to do this. No, you're not supposed to do this. He'll do it through the reading of the word. He'll do it through the teaching of the word. He'll. But every once in a while, you think you've seared it off good. And all of a sudden, that little conviction will come cracking through because you are a new creation and God's child. And God does not throw away his children. He lets all these things happen to them so they keep trying to follow after him. But here, these weren't his children. Even if they had been circumcised, even if they were trying to keep the Ten Commandments in between following all their idols, God says, you're not following after me. Your heart's not after me. I am not your God. Now, Paul is going to say the same thing to the Jewish people in his day. If you're not Truly seeking God, then you're not a true Jew. And he broke it up that there were Jews that were just Jews by birth and tradition, and those who truly followed God. And this is the same way for Christians. There are people coming to church that will say they're Christians, but they don't truly believe in God. They're not His. It's going to be interesting when the rapture does hit for, for, for churches to see how many people are left in the church. I almost wonder what it would be like to be in church on the rapture day. I don't want to you know. find out. Uh, well, I'm going, so I don't care. No, it would be, yeah. You know, some churches won't, will lose most of their people because the word of God is taught and people are hearing the word of God and the majority of the church are saved. There's going to be a lot of churches where only two or three people are taken out of that church, if any because there's that few people, because if you're in a church that's not teaching the word of God and you're really God's child, you're gonna go find a church that teaches the word of God. And this is what I tell people, it's not hard to find a church if you're really praying. Because it doesn't take you long to sit in a church and realize uh, this church isn't teaching the word of God and get out of it. I usually know within minutes whether a church is is a godly church or not. There's some churches I've walked to and they are dead. There is not a spiritual move in there. God is not moving. Some churches where God is moving a little bit, I'm going, well, this isn't my church. And some, when you walk in and you just know God is there, the Bible teaching, the, the, the love of the people, the edification of the people, everything about it is God is in this church. And this is where they are at this period of time. God is not in the Northern kingdom. Doesn't mean there's no followers but in general, the people are not. And he says, I am not going to be your God. Verse 10 says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea that cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass that in this place where it was said unto them, You are not my people. It shall be said of them that, they are, that you are the sons of the living God. Now here we are a prophecy in the future. All right? He says... You aren't my people, but because of Abraham, I'm not going to wipe you out. The promise of Abraham was that his people were going to be without number, his descendants. Now, he has bad descendants and he has good descendants, (laughs) but they're all his descendants, and they're going to grow. As said here, they'll be counted as the sand of the sea. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to count the sand of the sea. I haven't tried, and I don't want to try some, some scientist has taken a sample and put it all into a cube and then figured out how many cubic inches it is and, and predicted how big it is, but there's a lot of sand at the beach. And what's really bad is if you try to count the sand, there's new sand coming in from the ocean every time the wave comes in, so you still can't, can't count it. You know, uh, so you're never going to be able to count the sand. And So in other words, innumerable. God knows how much it is, but basically as far as we're concerned, it is without number. And he says... God said, even though I'm rejecting you, I am not destroying you. He's going to take them out of that nation. He's going to scatter them all through the empire of Assyria. And they're going to be scattered. But God says, I'm not destroying you. You're not going to be forever destroyed because you are Abraham's seed. And it says, and it shall come to pass that they, that where it was said, you are not my people right now here in You know, in his time, you are not my people. He says, it will be said that you are the sons of the living God. Now, I believe this is talking about the church, that God says, these are my people. We are adopted into God's family. Israel was called God's bride. The church will be called Jesus' bride. So he says, and we are adopted. I mean, it's kind of interesting because we're the bride, but he says we're adopted. We're adopted children. He goes, we will be called the sons of the living God. And there were times where the children of Israel were the, the children of God and following him. But very few times over their lifetime. Most of it, Most of their worship was in tradition. And we're in trouble if we ever fall into tradition. This happens to a lot of church denominations. They fall into tradition and they just do things because that's how it's done. And this is one of the reasons every once in a while I like to shake things up a little bit in here the way we worship because I don't want it to become a tradition. And it's easy to fall into tradition. It's easy to set up a Sunday morning worship. All we do is say this, 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 and this. But we don't want to get it to where it's just that tradition. The Catholicism fell into tradition. You do the same thing. Several of the denominations in, in, in Protestantism are very much in tradition. The Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, you know, a number of these groups all are following tradition. And you do things the same way and the same actions and you teach everybody exactly the same way. And all that happens to people is they look and they say, we're just going to follow God with ease. And then, we're, you know, when I come to church, I do my bowing. I say my prayers and I read my prayer book and I read my Bible and I'm honoring God. But their hearts aren't in it. And this is why God said, I want you to worship me with your, all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Every part of our being must, must be in that worship of God. Not just my mind, not just my actions, but everything about me needs to worship God. To be really, truly called his child. And then he goes on, the last part. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall... Come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Remember, Jezreel means God sows. So God sows a seed, and I believe he's now talking about the millennial kingdom, when everything will come back together under one headship and be reaping the benefit of what God sows. But we have seen Israel come back together. At the end of the Babylonian captivity, Israel came back as one nation until 70 AD when they were just the Diaspora scattered them all across, the, all across the Roman Empire. And then in 1948, they became back together as one nation and are currently one nation. And they will stay as one nation through the, the tribulation period. And then they will be the center of everything for the millennial kingdom when God rules. And this is what God is promising. They're going to come back. They, they've been split up. They've been split up into the northern and southern kingdom. I'm going to send the the northern kingdom into captivity. I'm going to protect the southern kingdom. And eventually he's going to get tired of the southern kingdom's disobedience and send them into captivity. He goes, but I will bring them back. Isaiah is going to tell the southern kingdom when they go into captivity that they're in captivity for 70 years. Why 70 years? Because of all the time they did not celebrate the year of jubilee and let the land rest. And God says, you haven't let the land rest for these, these 700 years. We're going to, uh, whatever, whatever, seven, 70 times, 490 years. <laughs> he goes, you didn't let the land rest for 790 years. I'm going to put you into captivity, and the land's going to rest for seven, 70 years. But I'm bringing you back. They came back until 70 A.D. when, when they had rebelled too many times and were, were fall, falling away from God. And God says, okay, you're gone. And now we have Israel back together again, and they're still not following God. It's very interesting because you talk to the Jewish people in Israel, and most of them they'll tell you that they're agnostic or atheist. They don't really believe in a God, but you know they'll tell you that they're living in the land that God gave them. <laughs> they don't believe in God. They're not believe that there's a real God that cares for them, they're living in the land that God gave them. That's why it's, their land. it's their land, you know, that God gave it to them. I'm not sure that I believe in God, but God gave us this land. The God I don't believe in gave us this land is what what they'll tell you. There's going to come a time, though, that God is going to get their attention. It's going to come through the tribulation period, and God will get their attention, and he'll say, this is who I am. And supernaturally, when Jesus comes back, they're going to go, oh, ah, there's the Messiah. We finally recognize him. And we we read where it said they'll ask, who, who, where'd you get those, go get those injuries? And he said, I got them from the house of a friend, meaning them, and not with an accusation, but just yeah. a friend gave it to me. A friend, a friend did this to me. What a nice friend to give you wounds that are gonna be forever. But he's gonna reign forever. And they're gonna be supernaturally recognizing him at that point. Now over a thousand years, they're gonna forget him, because the human nature is to forget. They have a thousand years of good perfection of reign, and the people will reject God at the end of it. And this is, and I've said this before, the last lie of Satan that he tells people is if everything was good, then everything would be perfect. You'd be living in utopia, and everybody would be happy, and nobody, nobody would be sad. Jesus will reign for a thousand years of utopia. And people will still want to rebel against him at the end of that thousand years. Because it's a lie from Satan that everything will be okay if you just, if you just had everything perfect, if you lived in lived in the Garden of Eden, and all the animals are friendly and there's no weeds, and you plant food, you plant food and it pops up and you're not starving and nobody's, nobody's dying of hunger and no diseases, then everybody would be good. And we're going to find out that's a lie as well. Satan is full of lies and God tackles every one of his lies to say this is a lie this is a lie this is a lie this is a lie because he is truth and when he puts a truth up Satan will throw up a whole bunch of lies hoping that at least one of the lies will stick you know Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life no one gets to the father except by me. Satan will come along, well, there's no heaven anyway, so it really doesn't matter how you live. All people go to heaven. If you just do more good than bad, if you follow this religion, you follow that religion, and he throws out all these different lies to people, hoping that one of them will stick and draw them away from God instead of the truth. And this is so important that we hold on to the truth no matter what and just hold on to it. Sometimes, and I've said this before, sometimes it's like I'm just hanging on to the end of a rope that's the truth, you know, everything seems to be going bad, and I'm going to hold on to Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good, for those who, are called according to, who love God and are called according to the purpose of God. And sometimes I'm holding on to that rope saying, God, you promised it's good. I'm going to hold on to this rope for all I'm worth because this is your promise. And you're looking at a whole world falling apart around you or apparently falling around, around you. And you're going, God, I'm just holding on to this truth. And this is the importance of knowing God's word. This is what kept Job during all that time. He told his wife, you know, are we going to accept good from God and not bad that comes from God? He understood somehow, even though he was a prosperity gospel believer, he understood that God still was the author of everything coming his way. And he was looking to the time when God would re-bless him, even though at that time he had nothing to hold on to. He didn't have Romans 8, 28 written down to, to, to trust, but somewhere he had that same, same idea. God is still in charge. Even though my whole life is falling around apart, falling apart around me, God is still in charge and I'm going to trust God. But I want to talk to him. Well, <laughs> after after he had been harassed by his friends, he did get to a place like, "God, I just want to talk to you. I really I want you to answer me." But you know that yeah. that makes sense though. If you, if you could, the, the answer yeah. that God would just, you he had, what, seven, seven different conversations or eight different conversations with, di- with different people telling him how bad he must have been. And at that point, he did get a little little perturbed. He yeah. said, God, I want answers. Yeah. Started, yeah, and then God asked him, and he had no answers. Yeah, I, I love that. God started speaking to him, and he says, I put my hand over my mouth, and I did not say a word. Uh, you know, because all of a sudden, he's like, who am I to stand before the mighty God that he knew from the beginning? He knew from the beginning, but he had just been beat up. And this is why exhortation is so important for us, by being in a church and being exhorted and built up rather than destroyed. And I feel sorry for Job. He had three friends coming out. And each one of them took at least two, two speeches at him. And then the young guy gave, gave two, two speeches to him. So you know, he's got at least eight speeches being given to him on how bad he is and how he must have been bad and God doesn't do this. So I can understand why all of a sudden he's like, OK, God, you, you and I need to get together and you need to give me some answers. Because this doesn't match my philosophy. It doesn't, it doesn't match, match my, my uh, understanding, my theology. So you need to answer to me what's going on. And when God did talk to him, it's like, uh, whoops. Uh, yeah. The holy God shows up and it's like, I'm not saying a word. I am, yeah, and this is what's funny. people, I hear Christians, when I get to heaven, I'm going to demand of God why he did something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to be just like Job. When we stand before God, we're going to be in so, so, number one, we're going to be in such awe that we're in front of him that we're not going to have a yeah. whole lot to say. Yeah, because we were thinking about that, too. When God shows up in a whirlwind, we have got nothing to say. Yeah. we probably going to be on our face. Well, even when we go to heaven. Yeah. We're going to, we're, our first instinct is going to be bow before him. It may be centuries or, or millennia before I'm even willing to stand in, in God's presence and talk to Him. They'll ask him why. They're probably not going to. Maybe after a few generations, you know, a few thousand million years or something, I might why be able to say, God, why did you do it? But I think we'll also know by then. Well, it's like Job's going, why, why was I even born if you were going to let this happen to you, know Jesus too? Why was I born? I don't think we'll have that question. Uh, no. did you make your son? Well, that we understand. We know why he did it. We don't understand why he created us in the first place. So, there won't be a whole lot of us saying, "God, answer us," because some of it we'll see. When when we stand at the bema of seat of Christ and he shows us the rewards for what we what we went through, we're going to go, "Oh, that is what was. That was what was happening. Oh, is that is that how you use that? We'll see it from a whole different perspective." Um, it's the statement and has been said in one of the movies, we see things on the wrong side of the of the quilt right. or the tapestry. Yeah. We get to the other side and we say, Oh, that's why that black card that hard hard part of my life was. There that was the shadow on the on the picture. I think also when we get there. Yeah. So, We'll find well, out that we were only one stitch. We were only one stitch on the tapestry, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Just one it's like, well, I don't so. Who knows? So we don't know what it is all going to be. But when we get to heaven, I don't believe we're going to sit there and say we want answers to everything because we're going to start seeing things from the right side of things. And God is, it might scare us actually when we see our life and see all the things that he did protect us from. Now yeah, we think we, we might think we've had a really bad life and God says, well, yeah, but this, this spirit wanted to come in and this spirit wanted to come in and this spirit wanted to come in if I had allowed them, you'd have really had a bad time and I blocked 10 of the, 9 of the 10 things that came your way and I just let one thing through. And wow, God, that was a pretty hard thing, but yeah, this is, these are the things I stopped. But the good news is we're also going to see the blessings that we get. How many people have we ministered to that we know nothing about? We said the right word. We gave, we gave money that was a, that went to them. We, we did just the right thing and, and ministered to them. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever going to get ministered from our movies. I don't know if anybody's getting ministered to across, from the Internet other than 1,500 people, uh, people a month listening to it. I don't know. I'm sure that. Somebody's getting something out of it, I hope. but, you still got to put it out there. but we're going to put it out there. Yeah. because that many people are listening to it, and what God's doing, I don't know. Yeah. I, far, part of the mind. reason he doesn't let me know, he doesn't want me to get proud and get all, all puffed yeah. up, so he doesn't it's let me know time. what's going on. Because <laughs> every time I get a little proud, all of a sudden our numbers get cut in half. <laughs> so <laughs> For a while. Yeah. 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 So I probably don't need to know. <laughs> Uh, what's being used, but when we get to heaven, we, we will find out, and the church will find out. I had the benefit of being the speaker. You all have the benefit of of paying paying into it that keeps it keeps it on 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 the uh, internet. So we will get blessed. There's blessings going on. the The times that we give out tracks, the times that we're ministering, the the radio broadcast, if somebody, if anybody's listening <laughs> is is being ministered to. All of these things are going on and God is using us, and we're going to be blessed in things, ways that we don't know. Maybe it was just that smile you gave to somebody that you weren't even thinking about, and they were having a really bad day, and they saw somebody just look at them with a smile. That might have been something that can turn somebody's life around. The day you just said some kind word to somebody, and it was just what they were getting ready to commit suicide that afternoon, and you were nice to them. Well, maybe there's somebody that likes me out there. Maybe it's not as bad as I think it is and they could be able to turn to God. We don't know where these blessings are going to be and how many people we've touched that we're never going to know until we get to heaven. Sometimes we know. Most of the time we don't know, and I think most of the great blessings are those ones that we don't know. When we get to heaven and, going, and God said, here's your rewards. God, how did I have that many rewards? I, never, I don't remember touching the, all those people. And there's all the stories, you know, the story about the guy that said God was was going to see God and you know, he waited to see Jesus all day long and he, helped, he, feed, he fed somebody, gave him a coat, gave another person some shoes, brought somebody in to warm him up and at the end of the day he said, God, where were you? I never saw you. And I said, I came to you several times. I was that person that needed shoes. I was that person that you fed. I was that person that you gave a coat to. You saw me all day long and took care of me. And all these things, when we get to heaven, we're going to see all these times when we ministered to God without knowing that we've ministered to them. And the there is there's a verse that says, be aware you might be ministering to angels unaware. So maybe God sends angels to us to see if we're going to be, be good. And I think there's been times when I've looked for somebody and I helped somebody and I've turned around just after a few minutes and I can't find them anywhere. Maybe they were angels. I don't know. Maybe they just happened to slip out of, the, out of sight really, really quick. I don't know. God will, God will let us know in the, when, we hit, when we hit heaven, if we need to know. But he says, here's your reward. Here's your reward for service. And all those services are going to be so important, especially the ones we don't know about. Those times when we were just being faithful. And I think those are the greatest blessings when, you know, I just do what I expected to do. And people go, Oh, you were so faithful. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? I was just doing what God wanted me to do. Yeah. You know, uh and many times, that's what we're going to find. I'm just doing what God is wanting me to do. And I'm just having fun. I'm just having fun doing what, what, you know, doing what I think is right. And God's saying, you're serving me. Now, when we're struggling and fighting to serve him, we're probably not doing what he wants us to do. Or we have the wrong attitude about it. I'm doing the right thing, but I'm doing it for the wrong reason. And this is something that we have to be careful of as well. So we're going to be done. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, help us to always seek after you. Help us to have the right attitude toward all that you're doing for us and keeping you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com.